I'm Jordan Rodrigue from The Athletic, the host of a new narrative podcast called The Play Callers, a series about innovation, competition, and even self-destruction within the NFL's youngest coaching family. The Play Callers will take listeners inside some of the brightest minds in football like you've never heard them before. Featuring exclusive interviews with Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, Mike McDaniel, and many others. The entire series will be out on Monday, July 10th on the Athletic Football Show podcast feed. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about the Sixers reportedly hiring Nick Nurse to be their next head coach. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network, here to talk about the all-time three-point percentage leader of the University of North Northern Iowa. How you doing, Rich? Is that true? It is. Might not be the reason we're going to spend this podcast talking about him, but it is true. Northern Iowa? Northern Iowa, yep. All right, that's D1. The, uh, the issue with that, I am sure, and... I guess we're going to start by roasting Nick Nurse. You know, there are a lot of times when people would say, oh, Steve Kerr is one of the greatest shooters of all time. Yeah. And Steve Kerr was an amazing shooter for his era. Yep. He took like a couple threes per game. And they, and they were, were generally pretty open. Yeah. Well, he did play on a pretty good team at the end of his career where uh, where the other guys got doubled. You know, it's funny. Uh, no, I mean, uh, back back in those times, like if you took a three off the dribble, like you were sent to the bench. Like the difficulty of the shots was definitely completely different. Yeah, I uh, I'm getting off topic here, but there's something that me and one of my friends just always laugh at in the I believe it's in the final episode of the Last Dance. You know, the Bulls are after shoot around. I think they're betting money on you know a, a shooting contest, and they're taking like 35 foot threes. And Steve Kerr, one of the greatest shooters of all time, no chance. Like. He looked like a little kid shooting a half-court shot from 35 feet, which is funny because Dame Lillard and Steph Curry, who Steve Kerr has coached for you know the entire prime of his career, shoot three of those a game, and, <laughs> and they do it quite easily. And anyway, in that last dance scene, which ends with Michael Jordan, of course, winning the money because you know it's a Michael it's a Michael Jordan documentary where you know pretty much all the positives are laid out for him. I just I, I got such a kick out of Steve Kerr, like yeah, he could make a three. But don't you dare ask him to go, you know, six, seven feet behind the line. No, no, so that's no. What Nick, that's what I imagine Nick Nurse does. Sure, sure, sure. His last two seasons, he averaged 5.2 and five attempts per game. And over his college career, 61% of his shots were from three-point range. You might owe him a little bit of an impulse. Five per game at that era is a pretty good volume. It's a pretty good it, volume. It's fine. It's really just the <laughs> inability to not, not now, shoot it from that far. I have no access to game tape like i think our game tape goes back to like the i want to say like 2005 era so it does it does not go back to the mid 80s uh so I, i'm not sure how much video there is of nick nurse at northern iowa and what kind of degree of difficulty we're talking about here but he did get up a fair amount of them in his heyday but we're completely off topic because that is not well, why was- we are <laughs> I just wanted to make fun of Steve Kerr for a minute. Sure, he brought in sure. facts and figures sure. and numbers to kind of refute my my take. Okay, let's go to the Nick Nurse. 
So Nick Nurse, new head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, he was one of the six names that were floated right from the beginning. It was reported, what, about 24 hours, I think, before the report came out that he accepted the Sixers job. It was reported that he had withdrawn from consideration for the Bucks job. He was also interviewing with the Phoenix Suns, ended up landing in Philadelphia. You know, I think when we did our last podcast, we both had him either two or three on the top of our list. He was certainly in discussion. Um, I think I previously said if this was a year ago, he probably would have been top of my list. And quite frankly, he is deserving of that role. We just veered a little more towards the offensive creativity being where our focus would be. So he's, um, you know, obviously spent the last, what was it, five years as the head coach of the Toronto Raptors. He had spent the five years before that as an assistant coach with the Toronto Raptors. And before then, he was all over the map, literally all over the map. I think he has coached in at least five different countries. He was over in um, the BBL over in the United Kingdom for, what, 11 years, I think. Won two championships, two BBL championships, I believe. I should probably have all this right up there on the top of um, my mind. But he is he was all over the place, spent a long time in the G League. He has experienced as a head coach, even if it was only the last five years in the NBA. I guess taking a step back, what's your overall thoughts? It's a little, you know, we talked a lot about Nick Nurse in the previous podcast. He was one of the two we've really focused on in that podcast. Uh, but overall thoughts now, it, it is official. Yeah, that was my initial thought. Good thing we let off with him and talked about him maybe like half the time for all yeah. six candidates. No, I he didn't. Up- you know, I, I felt a little guilty to Frankie Vogel, but I also didn't really feel like I was going to come back to bite us in the last one. No, and uh, also, we'll see if it gets made official. It'd be cool if uh, Kevin Young gets that Phoenix job. Yeah, it, it is interesting. And Kevin Young, great guy, has worked his way through. He was a G League coach here in well in Delaware for a little while, a member of Brett Brown's staff for a, a good chunk after that as well. It is interesting that of the three contenders, two of them went with guys who have never been a head coach at this level. Uh, you know, you got the Suns. Theoretically, if they do make Kevin Young the hire, he would be a, a coach coaching a contender who has never been a head coach in the NBA before. And then Milwaukee with Griffin. It's interesting. It's certainly something where I think, you know, when we looked at Sam Cassell, we sort of dismissed him, not because Sam's not qualified, but because we didn't think that was the route Daryl Morey was going to go. Two of his uh, his peers went that route. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And it just goes to show that I, I don't think that's necessarily the wrong move. Like Daryl Morey said before this started, look the at, Sixers look, were— Look at the guy they just hired. That's First what I'm year about as to a say. head coach, wanted, I think he's one of a handful— might have been a little more than a handful who won a championship. And most of those are probably way back in the, you know, 60s and 70s. Won a championship with the Raptors in his first year. Yeah. Like, the reason this guy's experience and won a championship was he was given a contender in his first year. And came through with, uh, you know, by the very sliver of Kawhi Leonard's uh, a million bounce shot. Don't that need to in. bring that up, Rich. We don't need to bring that up. But that's part of the, the gag on this show uh, that, you know, we bring up the misery just as much as possible. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a it's an interesting hire, right? I, I think we said heading into it from, you know, an X's and O's tactical standpoint, which, again, is not all of the game. Daryl Moore even said it. That's not everything here. But it's what we can see for the most part. It's what we actually can digest yeah. a little bit. 
he's one of the two most interesting ones. I thought D'Antoni would have been the other one, and and D'Antoni would have uh, sent some interesting messages, maybe with mm-hmm. uh, what the Sixers were doing with the rest of their offseason. So certainly think he is a, a super sharp guy. It seems like he lost his way a little bit in Toronto at the end of it, as the team also got a little bit worse. You know, he had that press conference at the end of the year where uh, he said 10 years has been a long time, and that was kind of a weird time yeah. to uh, yeah. to do that. Eric Kareen in my article at The Athletic was like, that was a ridiculous thing to say. And I, I got to be honest. If we were covering the Sixers, like if, if that was the Sixers coach doing that on the road and being like, you know, 10 years is a long time as they're in the middle of a yeah, playing yeah, yeah. race right before the game, I think I agree with them. I, I would feel the same way. Just like, this is ridiculous how unfair this is. That said, 10 years is a shit ton of yeah. a long time for one coach to be in the same place. I basically I was- heard Doug Collins say three years is a long time. Now, he said it after the season, even though he came to that conclusion uh, in the middle of the season. Ten years is a very long time in one place. You just don't admit it while games are still being played. I agree. I agree. So, yeah, you know, like he's he's a super sharp guy. But as we said last time as well, the way the Raptors played basketball was almost antithetical to the way the Sixers played basketball. They're <laughs> just completely opposite styles. And it will be interesting to see how he kind of uh, bridges that gap. But, like, look... It, as everybody here knows, I'm not as big on the coach, even though it interests me and fascinates me. You need Joel to actually start playing a little better in the uh, in the big games. That is, we said that in the final pod of the the season. That's going to be my my take moving forward. But in terms of bringing in a new voice and you know, like an interesting guy that you know, this could go a, a bunch of different ways. I I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's an interesting guy. And look, we can get into his defense. I think, you know, we mentioned last time he's clearly a creative guy on that side of the court. We don't think what he used in Toronto would translate to this team, but we also don't expect him to try to use what he used in Toronto. You know, I do think that can be said a little bit offensively as well. I tend to think a lot of offenses take the um, DNA of their stars and it it becomes that kind of a system. Uh, He got a lot of credit in the final year under Casey for revamping that offense and modernizing it a little bit. You know, and then over the last couple of years, that became a very ISO heavy, stagnant sort of offense, in part because a lot of those forwards are just not great at dribbling or passing. Like they've they've gotten to be very good shot makers, especially from where they started. Uh, but I'm not sure there's that much you can do right. with, you know, OG and CI. Like I think that that identity is, but he didn't necessarily and then, find and then the, the three solution. point shooting fell off the uh... completely, completely. That being said, it's not like he's inheriting a, a you know a full roster of elite quick decision makers on this one either. Um, you've got a little more if Harden comes back, obviously. But outside of that, not a whole ton of you know plus passers, I would say. Not a ton of creativity, so we'll see what he can do with that. But I think he is certainly, you know, of the candidates, he is as qualified, if not more qualified, than any of them. Uh, I'm very interested to see what he does defensively uh, because it's a completely different group of talent that he has to work with uh, and I'm interested to see what he can do in terms of getting Joe into the spots he needs to be in the playoffs because that's really what it's, I mean they can come out and have the second ranked defense or second ranked offense in the league and it's gonna be like all right but can you do that against the Boston Celtics with Joe as your focal point and that will be his pretty much entire because no matter what he does defensively when the playoffs come around and Joel Embiid's flying around they're going to be good and I think that's one thing we've really learned this year when God, that first like third of the season, it was just like, this is a train wreck defensively. I've never seen it be a train wreck defensively. I don't know how they're going to get the back on track. 
Well, the way you get back on track is you make Joel Embiid very motivated and he just covers up a lot of shit. And Nick Nurse will figure out how to get them to be a good playoff defense. Can he get them to be an effective half-court offense in the playoffs? That's going to be his entire job and keeping people happy. And that's why it's a little bit of a weird hire because that's not his forte. Like the the Raptors half-court offense over the past couple years was bad. And look, I, I think it's mostly the player's fault, right? When you're running... Pascal Siakam isos surrounded by the worst three-point shooting in the freaking league. and You're limited. You're limited. Yeah. And certainly below average passing. Like, you cannot yeah. emphasize that enough. Like, just b- below average passing pretty much all over, you know, maybe outside of Scotty Barnes or somebody like that. You know, Pascal's pretty good on the move, but again, he's not a, he's not LeBron diming people up for sure. Yeah, he might not be a negative passer at this stage of his career, but he's not a plus-plus passer for sure. And he's also not a what I would consider like a quick decision maker too. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, fine. He can make the pass, but that also has to come from his isolation. And, yeah. You know, which they is, can make the reads when they force a rotation, but if there's not a rotation, it's just dribble, 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 jab, step, dribble, dribble. What are we doing? Yeah. Okay. So let's start with the defense though. Um, and just kind of dig into that. I am, I'm very curious to see what will happen because Nick nurse's big thing is ball pressure and, mm-hmm. you know, forcing turnovers and, and active defense. You're saying that's I not James Harden? James Harden, if James Harden is here, I think this is the worst roster in the league for that style. Am I like? Yeah. No, you're 100%. And that's why I, I don't expect him to carry over almost any of that. Like, he has to completely redo what he does. And it's tough because Toronto has been obviously not the same because they've lost Kawhi, they've lost Kyle Lowry, a lot of players. But who they've targeted... And the types of players that they've targeted has been pretty consistent. That's why we thought Scotty Barnes was a really good fit there. You don't know if that was for Nick Nurse's scheme or if Nick Nurse was playing in the scheme for the players uh, that Masai was drafting. Um, He has to just take everything and throw it away because it's not going to work here. Like maybe Maxi can pressure a little bit, but he's going to get beat a lot if he does that. And Harden, not at all. And it didn't work at the end in Toronto too, which goes to show that I don't want to say p- positionless basketball is a hoax, but you better have players that can do a variety of things. Like if it's if you just have a bunch of six, seven guys, like it doesn't automatically work. Yeah. <laughs> well, and even there, like you had Fred Van Vliet and you usually had a pretty traditional center as well. So it wasn't completely well, they, they, positionless. They didn't over the past, like until they got uh, at the end yeah. puddle at the end. I, I still call him puddle uh, from from Game of Zones. But yeah, it was yeah. clear that they were just getting destroyed at the rim now part of that was they were rotating like crazy but they also didn't have a a traditional rim protector and it was clear that Masai made that crazy trade for puddle where he gave like a very lightly protected pick to uh to san antonio which by the way whoo san antonio is yeah i know oklahoma city looking good the the it might be in in 10 years we might be back to like you know the mid-2000s where the southwest division is just where where all the good teams are. Because everybody's talking about Oklahoma City. San Antonio has Wemby, and they have a lot of picks, yeah. too. Like, I, you know, Wemby's worth three quarters of uh, of Oklahoma City's yeah. draft hall, just right there. Yep, yep. No, it's uh, draft hall, all of that stuff, young players. It's all about getting that one guy who can be a top five player. Um, so, so anyway, I, again, I got I got you off, off track. Oh, we can, but, we can talk about all these young teams that that's right that feels very processy some of these teams that'd be fun to talk about let's cover the thunder for a off season well yeah but you know with this second apron we better do it quickly because you're not gonna be able to afford all <laughs> that's those true guys that's if, true if good at the end of it uh 
you know, the James Harden trade will be actually necessary this time around for Oklahoma City. The uh, the bad James Harden trade for them. Yeah. Uh, not that the Sixers good James Harden trade. So I don't know what he's going to do because you're right. The roster is just like, look, if Ben Simmons and Matisse Thybul were still here, I'd be like, oh, OK, that's interesting. Like th- those guys can fly around and and do some of those things. But outside of DeAnthony Melton, I'm not seeing the ball pressure, the ball hawks on this team. No. And can you build a good defense around that? Yeah, I think you can. But I, I guess what I-, I find interesting is that Nick Nurse is known for unconventional schemes, flexibility, box and one, triangle and two. I think by definition, when you have Joel Embiid, you're a little more vanilla defensively, yep. and that works largely if he's good and he's motivated. So I'll just kind of be interested to see how that happens because it's not the it's not the easiest fit in the world, in my opinion. If if you're transferring over what he did in Toronto to here, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Like you see, Scotty Barnes and Precious Achua and all these guys rotating out like crazy up on ball screens. You don't want Joel Embiid doing that in the regular no. season. Uh. Uh-uh. The only other guy who would really fit that kind of a scheme is McDaniel's. Paul. He is a free agent who couldn't shoot enough to stay on the court in the playoffs. So there's one other guy too. B-ball Paul would be. Oh sure, sure. Yep. Perfect Toronto Raptor. Yeah, under, under Nick Nurse. So you know, including B-ball running Paul, around with his head cut off. Yes, exactly. So sign B-ball Paul to the max, and then bring him back and, and fit him into the system. But yeah, I mean, I mean I look, think we've the, done the whole max backup center thing. Like, that's old hat, too. Yeah, and at least this guy won't pout and um, have the whole city hate him by the end of the... Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't I don't think people would hate B-Wall Paul as much even under Al Horford's contract. Um, by the way, Al Horford, nice nice conference finals there, by the way. <laughs> uh, look, that was such a fun... I don't know, probably hurt the hearts of a lot of people listening to this podcast. That was a very entertaining conference finals. I enjoyed that tremendously. From the incredible finishes to the up, you know, up and down roller coaster nature, the comeback that came up short. Kind of like I, I'll, I admit, like it might be tough watching Jimmy win, but it's more fun watching the Celtics lose than is watching Miami lose. So I was a hundred percent okay with them getting their hearts ripped out like that. That was fun. I enjoyed that. Well, that's good. I'm happy for you. The uh, I agree with you. It was an entertaining series. I thought. Uh... For Miami to come back after the way that game six ended is just, yeah, it's crazy. Like well, I, I don't it's, understand it's how you bounce back. They shot the shit so. out of the ball too, because now they don't have to be chokers. It's funny how all, a lot of that rides on three point shooting, like we've said a million <laughs> times. When they shoot, it's I think just, in, the, in a competitive portion of that game, they were shooting like fifty percent from three. Helps, fucking helps. It's just crazy how the narratives can change just based off one game, one little play. I mean, again, they're all time chokers if they lose that final game. And here I am lauding their toughness, their their excellence, their Caleb Martin-ness. And, uh, now Jason way, Tatum gets to be a choker. Caleb Martin should have gotten that award over Jimmy, by the way. He, absolutely. Yeah. He was much more consistent player than him in that series. Yeah. It's just Jimmy's highs are so high. Like, they're, when Jimmy's dominating game, it's so obvious. Yeah, but I don't know. He's, I, his hear lows, I hear you. His lows are bad. I, like... James Harden was not that much different uh, than Jimmy Butler in that series, but well, one of them plays defense, and then that helps. one of them one of them plays defense, and one of them uh, has a better supporting cast and coach and culture and all that shit too. So, oh, by the way, Miami, I think I, I saw a stat in that series: highest percentage of made open threes in the history of the NBA. Yeah. So yeah. 
Look, I, I love their toughness. It, it it helps when the ball's going in the basket and the the team that couldn't make a three all year has uh has found it from yeah. uh from the post. I mean, look, oh. we might be getting ready for a finals if the Sixers could just shoot forty percent from three over the last two games. Re- really, over the last one game, because there wouldn't be a game seven if they could. But again, anyway, it's water under it's, the bridge. It's part of it, and uh, also Eric Spolstra, like, oof, yeah, that guy, that guy is an amazing basketball coach. Yeah, nope. There's two or three that really, really, really elevate a team, and he's one of them for sure, for sure. And one of the other ones now has Bunby. For how long yeah. we'll see, but that'll be fun to watch. Okay, back to Nurse. So I think that the other thing with Toronto is, you remember before last season's first round series when we talked about, oh man, these guys, the way they win is by winning the possession game, right? Mm-hmm. They they crash the offensive glass, they force turnovers, they push the ball in transition. It's just everything is completely different from yep. the Sixers team. The and that Sixers was very team. key because, like you mentioned, like their half court offense was one of the worst in the league, but they still end up with like a mid pack offense because they just fucking force a lot of turnovers and get out. And this team doesn't force to, everything has to be different. It's gonna be wild. Now the Sixers don't do this in the postseason, but the Sixers execute in the half court in the regular season. Yeah, and they shoot the shit out of the ball from three in the regular season. So it's just gonna be completely different. And it's I, I guess it goes to show. The guy who's been considered flexible and adaptable, he's going to have to adapt because his personnel, I don't care if Harden is here or not. R- regardless, if you have Maxi on one end of, of your positional spectrum and Embiid on the other, this team is is wildly different. And frankly, like not a ton of foot speed in between no. those two either. Even their good defenders, PJ, not a ton of foot speed. Tobias, who's one of their better, at least man-to-man defenders, not a ton of foot speed. You know, you could at least see, like, if, if Harden walks, you can maybe see, like, a, a a bad version of Toronto with Maxie and Melton and Jalen McDaniels brought back and Paul Reed. But, like, I mean, first of all, that lineup's not scoring at all. So I guess it would be a little bit like Toronto. But that's not the outcome you want. Like, <laughs> you, need, you need some of these guys back. Yeah. I mean, and I think you mentioned it, too. Like, Tobias, when he is a good defender, he is a one-on-one defender. Not making you. decisions. And that's what PJ is too, right? Stay in front of you. Hopefully get away with some some hand checking and, and some physical play. But it's certainly not scrambling all over the place on defense. Yeah. You know, no, the I, more I you picture, have, the, 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 the more decisions Tobias Harris has to make in a possession, the higher likelihood he's going to screw up. It's just. And PJ Tucker is the, uh, is kind of the oracle, the, uh, the, the player version of Mike D'Antoni's, we're going to switch everything system. Just keep people in front of you one-on-one, handle your business, guard your yard, whatever. He's kind of like, he is the believer in that uh, yeah. in that system. So, I don't know. I, I think it's just going to be very different. And that's what I, I guess will make this intriguing. I, I would say one thing. Here's a li- little prediction. I think Nick Nurse is going to get on Tyrese Maxey to defend really hard. And, and look, we know Tyrese Maxey's limitations. I don't think he's ever going to be a very good defensive player. No, but he does have the potential to like maybe pester people in the backcourt a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe be one of those guys who, okay, you know, teams used to do this. They still do it to Harden all the time because he doesn't want to bring up the ball. A guy who's like guarding him and, and Harden brings the ball over at exactly 16 seconds. And it's hard to get the Sixers into their offense. I, that's one prediction where I think 
Nick Nurse says, Tyrese, you can do that at least. You can at least pressure them 94 feet. Okay, mm-hmm. once we get into the half court, all right, then it might be a little bit tougher, you know. But Yeah. No, and most of my concerns with Tyrese don't really come down to effort. It's a combination of size and decision-making and communication. And I'm not sure if Nurse can necessarily – like you can't just yell at him to fix those. It's going to take some time. But at least you can accentuate some of his positives, and that might be pressuring the ball. Agree with you there. Uh, what do you think – do you read anything into this at all with regards to the decision or the recruitment of James Harden here in a couple of weeks? The only thing I read into it is it's not Mike D'Antoni. Yeah. So I think by definition, it makes Harden less likely to come back. Or it means that Daryl has pretty good intel that he will come back. I'm not saying that's the case, but if you feel confident that Harden's coming back and you got his blessing on Nurse, it could theoretically mean you don't have to cater. But when has James Harden never not wanted someone to cater to him? I don't know. I I, I think your read's probably closer to the truth. I don't know. After Doc Rivers and Harden didn't get along, we're going to get into some of the interpersonal stuff in a little bit. Uh, Nick Nurse. He can be (laughs) confrontational. I think the he, way we call it about passive time, aggressive. Sure, sure, yeah. and aggressive aggressive too. I, the next time, the last time we talked about him, like hey, or last podcast, we were like, hey, this, he might be the one to get them out of the comfort zone, but that might only have shelf life of a year or two. Seems a little now. Look, you know, if you can get a good version of James for a year or two, might be worth whatever downsides there are on the back end. But it's a interesting choice for sure. I, I don't and, and Nick Nurse. His big thing is, we got to play hard. Yeah, <laughs> like that, that's that's not, the way he coaches. Eric, Eric Green yeah. wrote about it in his story. Gary Trent said, yeah, I got used to hearing him criticize my defense in the media before he would say it face-to-face to me. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't even imagine what the James Harden yep. situation would be like. And, you know, hey, look, maybe James Harden appreciates, like, Nick Nurse threw some crazy defenses at Harden. I remember there was a game in Toronto where they basically played behind him. This was like the, the the height of Harden and the height of Raptors being good. And like, they just, I mean, I mean, they, they completely tried to take Harden out of the game. I believe the Rockets won that game. Maybe there's some respect there, but I don't know. I find it hard to believe that James Harden will be better with the guy who's the little bit of passive aggressive. We need you to pressure the ball, which I stink at coach. Over Doc Rivers, who, I don't know, like... Well, the, their big problem was that Doc was like, hey, maybe don't go to Vegas during the playoffs. Like, that, that seems reasonable from Doc's perspective. <laughs> I don't know. And he did it privately, too. I agree with you. There's... It, that This could no. be interesting. In fact, he said publicly, when asked about it, he there was a story with one of the Boston guys interviewed him after the game. He said, I said, go ahead, like, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I think... I think my read is right, but also James Harden has limited options. So, you know, we will uh, we will see how that goes. I certainly don't think Nick Nurse is, like, completely disqualifying for James Harden. No, I agree. I, I would I put agree. it that way. I agree. I agree. It's, yeah. Uh, where were we going to pivot to from there? Well, let's, let's, talk, let's talk about the offense uh, because that has been bad. Yeah. Uh, and I guess my, my question to you is... You know, he coached for the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, right? That's their... Yep. Mm-hmm. 
that team was used by Houston in kind of a more aggressive fashion for yep. a lot of years than a lot of G League teams where they experimented with play style. Um, they obviously experimented with players like Robert Covington. I remember uh, doing a story on Cove. And Brett Brown told me, yeah, he played for Houston's G League team. It's not and even like when basketball. he came here, all he used to do was jack threes, and that's all he would do. And we actually had to teach him how to play defense here. And I think largely that was successful. But that's why, you know, when, when Cub first showed up, I guess it was like 2014 he showed up in, in Philly. Like, he was shooting all of those long threes, and that was pretty easy for him because that's all he was doing in uh, in the G League. I, I kind of wonder with the offense if – the partnership with Maury is kind of more instructive than maybe we think like they, they ran some really ugly offense in Toronto, but this is somebody who grew up in the kind of pace and space, you yep. know, shoot a bunch of threes. And uh, I don't know, like, again, as much as the defense is not transferable with this personnel, the offense is easier to run with these guys. It, it, re- it really is like he's going <laughs> to it doesn't take a, like a rocket scientist. Get the ball to Joel Embiid, you know, at the free throw line and in, in pick and roll and those things. So um, I, gu- I guess I'm kind of curious if this becomes a little bit more of a Maury ball team. If they uh, if Nick Nurse is kind of more willing to, you know, space the floor and take more threes. But that that's kind of my only thought there. Yeah. No, like I said, his. Final year as an assistant before becoming a head coach, he was given a lot of credit for modernizing Toronto's offense. They ended up with the second-ranked offense in the league that year. They went from 22nd in three-point attempt rate to fifth. So I think he definitely agrees, theoretically, with Moriball, at least at some level. Like you said, the three years he spent with Rio Grande Valley is, um, I think, a big part of this, or at least a big part of the comfort zone between those, those two. I think... Part of what happened there in Toronto is just that's the identity of those players. We just haven't really seen that kind of creativity to get Joe to his spots. I do think you're going to, I mean, you're right, especially in the regular season, this offense is probably going to be easy to run. Like they should end up with a top five offense if Harden returns and if Embiid is healthy. Um, Yeah, I think you could definitely see uh, an increase in, but like, you're not, I don't think you're going to see a drastic increase in like three-point attempt rate, in part because I don't think Joel Embiid's going to be like, all right, I'm going to move off of that elbow and go back to the three-point line and launch threes. Like You're always going to be a mid-pack three-point attempt rate team. But I think, you know, I don't want to say Doc didn't care about that, but I don't think Doc was obsessed with that. I think you could see um, an uptick in, in attempts. Not drastic, but an uptick. So I, I, that's kind of my only thought there. And it just goes to show this coaching thing. There there are air, gray areas and, you know, your personnel often dictates who you are because Nick Nurse heading into Toronto was considered an offensive guy. Yep. Like he was, you know, the offensive coordinator, like you said, under Dwayne Casey, he, you know, was, was lauded for his ideas and kind of his creativity on that end. Rio Grande Valley certainly helps there. Uh, that That is not his MO anymore. Like we are, praising him for his creative defense and all of those things and uh, and not as much on the offensive end. It'll, it'll so be fun ask, to see him in a, in a different environment, in a different uh, challenge. Totally. So let me ask you... Uh, it is kind of make? amazing, though, because like he's coached like 14 different teams or whatever, and really the only one we can draw something meaningful from is that spot in Toronto. And because they've been so similar in how they've been constructed, uh, it, like I said, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I wasn't following the... Uh, 
the London British Basketball League team. No, no big is thoughts that, is, on the Birmingham Bullets. Oh, is that he, who he, he did coach okay. London Towers? He's coached a bunch of teams over there in uh, in England. The London Towers, Manchester Giants, big fan. Towers beat. So, looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager oh oh so okay so two reasons it seemed like he kind of wore out his welcome in toronto uh first one is that and and this ties into the the big thing a lot of people have talked have talked about. He uh he obviously played his starters a shit ton of yeah. minutes. And and the other side of that coin is that the younger players at the end of the bench, not a whole lot of player development going on there in Toronto over the past couple mm-hmm. of years. And uh I guess what do you you know, it seemed like Masai Ujiri was not happy with the development of those players. He he's mentioned that. Um, there was certainly some disagreement there. What do you uh, what do you make of of that, and kind of how does it apply to to this situation here? Yeah, I mean, look, I think for a long time Toronto was one of those organizations where you looked to and you said it seems like everyone they draft just gets better. And certainly recently, the playing time hasn't been there. I think in part because Nick probably felt like going from a championship level to sub championship level, he almost had to overachieve. Uh, so he might have felt the pressure and and played leaned on veterans more than maybe he should have. You know, I'm not going to say like they can't develop players, but when you look at young players here, I mean, who are we really talking about? Like B-Ball Paul, if he's brought back, Jalen McDaniels, if he's brought back. But B-Ball Paul, it's not like I know there are a lot of people that want B-Ball Paul playing alongside Embiid. I don't. I, I want passing and decision-making on that floor around Joel Embiid. That's not B-Ball Paul. You don't really need Nick Nurse to 
give an uptick in B-Ball Paul's minutes. You just need to make him, or you need for him to make the right decision on the backup center. That's my only real request with B-Ball Paul and Nick Nurse. So that's really, you well, know, what we're talking about there. You're missing the other name that people really want to see. Jaden Springer. Just saying. Sure. Okay. That's what, the streets are calling for more Jaden sure. Springer minutes. I'm sure. Look, Jaden Springer looked fine in a limited amount. I saw him with the blue coats. He looks like he has improved his skill level. Uh, I will almost always be skeptical on players like that until I actually see it in NBA action. I do believe in his defense. You can go back to when he was drafted. Uh, I believed in his perimeter defense. He needs to be playable on offense. That's fair. Like, it would be great if they could, you know, have one of these wins here so they could have some cheaper, more cost-controlled players, especially with Springer on a rookie deal. He'll be a restricted free agent. Get him on a cheap number. Yeah, sure. Fair point. Fair point. I don't have my expectations high, but it would be great if you can get a, a surprising win. That's fair. I, he, he'd fit Nick Nurse's scheme fine if this, he's legitimate. This is off topic, but I was just imagining George, who I love, if he gets resigned. Oh, my God. And him running around. Scrambling around. It would be a disaster. <laughs> yeah, again. So not the greatest personnel right now. Nick Nurse, but we'll see what the roster looks like uh, uh, next month. Yeah, I think, and if you look at Toronto, I think the way it was described is that both the front office and coaching staff have, you know, a little bit of blame there. I mean, some of it is that Nick Nurse is emotional and competitive and all those things, and he probably chased too many regular season wins. Yeah. Um, and by the way, prob- outside of, you know, they had that one like weird year, but outside of that, you generally looked at them and you went, Oh man, they always overachieve. Like I always say, this is the year they take a big step back and they very rarely do it. Yeah, you know, two, that comes at a two, cost. Two of the last three years were, were rough. Now, the one year, I, I would say the Tampa year, yeah, toss that one out. That one, they, they were in very weird circumstances. They had a bunch of injuries, a bunch of COVID issues, stuff like that. Okay, toss that one out. They ended this up tanking was, at the end. Yeah. This year was bad. They were yep. an underwhelming team. But part of the reason they were underwhelming is because they overachieved a little bit last year and they probably set their expectations yep. a little bit too high. Scotty Barnes takes a step back relatively too. And they overachieved in 2020, I thought pretty pretty handily after losing Kawhi. Well, that is, I mean, they did not just overachieve there. That was they they should have yeah. thrown a parade for that team. That team yeah. That's as admirable of a second round exit as you can ever get. That team that was That is dominant. one of the least talented 53 win teams I've ever seen. Dude, they were 53 and 19. I know. <laughs> I mean, just an amazing coaching job by Nurse in that season. That is a high 50s win team, and that might be the least talented one of all time. I mean, maybe some of those Cleveland-LeBron teams when you consider how bad the supporting cast was after LeBron, but you have peak LeBron there. It's yep. uh, it, it was really poor. So, again, part of it is that he chased a bunch of regular season wins, but like, let, let's be real. Part of it is that Masai Ujiri... Did a bad job drafting over the past couple of years. Like he didn't have like these ready-made amazing players. And, you know, I think a lot of people in Toronto seem to understand that. Like they're like, well, you know, these players aren't um aren't exactly like ready to to get the Raptors to win a title. Uh you know, I, I wonder if if Sixers Twitter and and Jaden Springer was on that roster, you know, would they would Jeff Doughton and some of these other guys be uh you know, the cause celebre for uh for these people. But Nick Nurse clearly did not think they were uh they were ready for prime time and he did not give them much of an opportunity at all. So that's you know, part of 
being adaptable and part of being flexible and trying things is trying players up and down your roster. Yeah. So I think in some ways that reputation, you know, at least in that regard, it's probably a little bit different than what his, his rep is. And that's okay. Yeah. But I think for the most part, the Sixers are a good fit because they're a win now team with older players. And, you know, the, the player that you have to develop the most probably is Tyrese Maxey, who doesn't matter. Like he's going to play. He's playing so. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> No, I do think sometimes fans get a little too, like, they think that in order to develop, you have to be on the court 20 minutes per night. And I think B-Ball Paul is a pretty good example where he got a lot better in the G League. Um, where I get on, eventually you need to try them out on an NBA court. You need to be able to evaluate them. And you can't play DeAndre, <laughs> you can't play DeAndre Jordan. Um you know, I think Jaden Springer, it's possible for him to get better in a G League. Eventually, you just need to bring him up and give him a run. And will Nick Nurse do that? We will see. It is tough sometimes to know whether or not the lack of playing is because Nick Nurse just hates young people and the expectations are too high or because maybe the young players just weren't good enough. Um, it's hard to know without seeing the practices and the G League games and all of that stuff. Um, but not the greatest track record in Toronto at the end, for sure. That's fair. It uh, it should be noted too that as much as he played his top players and and those starters, I think it was Siakam and Van Vliet top five in minutes per game, which is not great. Uh, one thing to point out is that Nick Nurse was also the coach in 2018-19, and yeah, sure we know how that ended, but during that season he coached Kawhi Leonard, who missed load management. Yep, a lot of games. You know, every third game is pretty much out. So he clearly can take the initiative and, and not overtax his star player. Although I think some of that is Kawhi taking the initiative. I think Kawhi was a very, very strong hand in, in a lot of those decisions. Um, sure. Yeah. But there's there's a happy medium between sure. Sure. Siakam and Van Vliet last year and Kawhi. Like, Joel can fit into a nice happy medium in between those two. The question is, what does Joel want to do, though? Does he want to be the guy playing every night, or does he want to get back to focusing a little bit more on load management? And how much would that help? And honestly, I'm not even sure the answer to that because he does seem like he stays in better shape when he's playing every night. A lot of these injuries aren't wear and tear injuries or freak at the end. I Yeah, I um, have no idea how to how to handle that. Um, I mean, I think it'll be very interesting to see those two on the same side now. Yeah, and that's one thing I, I wanted to bring up. Like, I think I see a lot of people like, oh man, Nick Nurse complaining about Embiid's fouls. Is there any friction there? Joe doesn't fucking care. He cares because he's on the other team complaining about it. Like, if he's pushing for Joel Embiid's fouls, like, he'll get over that in a second. I, I think the the perfect example of that is Dan Burke, right? Dan Burke and, actually actually said, I hate Joel Embiid. Yeah, I hate that yeah. team. He's a whiner, and those two are very good friends. Joel really Embiid well likes it when people complain about him drawing fouls. He, he's fine. He's he's fine. He'll, he'll get it. I mean, he, Andre Drummond played for the team, and they were fine. Joel, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. But he, he has also voiced, he was like, man, this guy, all they do is double and triple team me. It's like all they care about is me not scoring points. Like they, the point isn't even to win the game. So I think it'll be very funny to see them on the same side. I definitely think there is a, a level of respect. Even before he said respectfully stop bitching about calls, yeah. he said, I really respect him as a coach. He's done a lot. And I think that is, uh, is genuine because Joel is a basketball junkie who watches every team around the league and you know, how teams guard the other best star players. So that'll be an interesting one. And I guess that leads into the last point is that, you know, we, we already touched on this a little bit, is that nurses, locker room, player, man management, left a little bit to be desired over the past couple of years. 
Yeah. I think I think some of those press conferences will go over better in Philly when he's like, this player sucked, our effort sucked, those type of things. It'll be quite a difference from Doc, who would be like, there'd be uh you know, there'd be like a fire and he'd be like, there's no fire? What are you yeah. talking about? We're fine, like or whatever. It's a very obvious thing. That said, how does that go over in the locker room? Um, how does he motivate his players? Like, is his direct communication, as uh, I think Eric pointed out, like that wasn't great at the end of his career. How much of that is just, you know, 10 years in one place, a lot of the same players, maybe the relationship had run its course and it'll get better with a fresh start. And how much of it is, eh, you know, he's, he's a little bit of a, you know, a hard charging guy and, and, and there might be a shelf life on those things. Which shelf life sign. If you're telling me he's only got three to five years in Philly, that's fine. Cause that's a window you need to win a championship in. It's, will you get buy-in during those three to five years? He he needs to at least have buy-in at the beginning half of his tenure, beginning part of his tenure, um, if you're going to be that tough on players. Um, it'll be very, I, I'm I'm fascinated to watch the Harden fit if he, uh, if he does come back. All right, I guess any 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 quick thoughts on uh, on on the finals coming up here? I'm excited to watch. I know I know who, only who like... do you think Sixers fans are rooting for generally? Not not us cuz I'm just rooting for entertaining basketball, but like which one do you think will hurt them less? It's a good question. I I, I mean I feel like probably... Jimmy at this point has earned like begrudging respect and the damage of him leaving is damaged no matter what. So I th- I feel like if he leads the Heat to a title, which I don't expect them picking the Nuggets pretty heavily, but I think if that happened, I think it would probably be less of a, you know, less damaging to the Philadelphia fan base than Jokic I th- winning. I think if I was still a fan, I would want Jokic to win just because. I enjoy watching a, that. It's it's kind of a pretend. Ri- well, I certainly enjoy watching them, but it's also kind of a pretend rivalry. It's like, oh, okay, like who wins the MVP at the end of the year? They play one time every year because Joel misses one of the games. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not that important and. By the way, the the idea was, you know, I guess the reason you don't want Jokic to win is, oh man, he'll he'll get so far ahead of Joel in this this rivalry. Guess what? He's already, He's already really far ahead of him. Yeah. And and the only way Joe can get back into that conversation is to do what he's doing now, which is independent of these uh, of these finals. So, uh, to me, I actually think if I was a fan, I would want the Nuggets to win. But I also have not been. For a few years, and I certainly have not um, gotten into the Jokic Embiid back and forth like a lot of people have, just because I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's going to be fun. Uh, I I think uh, I hope the the ratings talk doesn't overshadow it because yeah, they could have had Celtics Lakers, and I bet you that would have done. Considering how well the rate er, how well the uh, the ratings have bounced back this this year, um, which I always like to see. I don't care about them as much, but. It does go to show that the league is is relatively healthy. I just hope it's not used against uh, the NBA too much, considering these are smaller markets. And yeah. This is kind of the this is the hardcore basketball fans' finals. It it feels a little bit like a San Antonio Spurs run, and I got sick of the argument bit. back then too. Um, yeah, yeah. I wonder how much like do you do you think people would have have thought the Spurs were a fun team to watch if they played in a bigger market? Because I thought the Spurs were really fun to watch. Maybe not a lot of personality or mm-hmm. outward emotion, but like the, the style of play I always found enjoying. I wonder I how think, much of that was just they're playing in San Antonio. I think certainly towards the back end of their uh, of their run. Like I think the, the team that I'm thinking of, the 2013 and 2014, the team that won the championship, but also the one that lost on the Ray Allen shot. 
Like they played the beautiful game more than I've ever seen mm-hmm. a team play the beautiful game. Now, if we go back to like the '03 Tim Duncan post up, now in fairness, that, that era of NBA basketball was yeah, yeah, that was considered beautiful basketball back then. So I, I can't really. I certainly didn't like watching that. I remember the the Pistons finals. I, that was a good close series, but I I kind of hated yeah those Pistons. I, well, I get the, it. I, I like that that they didn't have a star, but they they played no. Good they played ugly basketball, and not only was their own offense ugly, but they made the other offense ugly. It was yeah. I didn't enjoy watching. Look, and Rip, I Rip I liked watching, but that was it. Rip I liked watching, and. You know, that was a guy who shot mid-range jumpers and ran off screens. Like, now yeah. <laughs> now it would be Rip Hamilton running off screens from three. I mean, he he would still be a really good player now. Anyway, I think for the first part of it, eh, it's pretty ugly era of NBA basketball. I certainly think uh, 2013-14. I, the 2013 Heat-Spurs finals, yeah. that was an all-timer. That's one yeah. of my favorite ones of all time. That's just And now, look, I think the game was played a little bit differently. Like, teams were still, the, the Heat were, like, blitzing screens, which kind of led to this crazy pinging ball movement, which doesn't really exist as much anymore. No. Kind of wish they would change the rules a little yeah. bit to start to playing bring that worse back. defense so that the offense can be more entertaining. Well, at some point, I think it was pretty shortly after that, Frankie Vogues realized, oh, wait, if we just stick this giant dude in front of the rim, yeah. oh, it's hard for them to score and we don't have to work as hard? Oh, yeah, let's do that. But anyway, I, uh, I, look, I think, uh, in terms of this finals, like the way Jokic plays, um, hopefully Jimmy has a couple of really good performances because he was he was really losing his legs at the end of that series. Yeah. Hopefully he, uh, I don't know, drinks some of that big face coffee and gets into the cryo chamber and uh, you know figures some things out. Well, we have that. I think the Nuggets up. are going to win too. By the way, I agree. I agree, and that starts tomorrow. Yes, Thursday. All right. Well, I think that is a good place to cut it off. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.